So in the first service, I got up here, and I, I, I was like out of breath. And I, I was thinking, I, I don't really, I, I can't tell you that I've ever been nervous. And I'm thinking, am I nervous? What's wrong? I realize now what it is. I've been down there getting my sing on. That's what I'm talking about. I'm going to have praise on down there. Poor Paul who had to stand next to me. Aren't these guys awesome to be able to come and lead us in worship? I love that. Love that. Man, I love our church. I, I love our church. Oh, I, you may not know this. I want to tell you something. This is Memorial Day weekend. This weekend, year over year, is the least attended worship service all year for us as, as a church. Year over year over year, going back for a long time. It's, it's this weekend. And, and I want you to know something. I love our church. In spite of that, we gathered together this morning with hundreds of people. Amid of all those things, all the cookouts, all the distractions, all the things that we could go do, there is a convictional passion for us to gather together, not out of routine, not out of obligation, not because it's just the most wonderful thing, not because of this awesome team or me, but listen, we gather together because God is worthy of our worship. I am so thankful to be part of a church with hundreds of people who would gather together this morning to make much of God. That's an exciting thing. Man, it's, I'm just so incredibly blessed and thankful to be part of a church, to be part of brothers and sisters in Christ who would gather together to make much of the Lord where He is their focus. I, I was even teasing Mike as Mike was approaching his sabbatical. And I'll remind you, there, one week into that sabbatical, continue to pray for Mike. Continue to pray that God will give him rest and give him energy. There's nothing wrong there. We want our leaders to be growing deeper, more mature in their relationship with God so that it spills over into our lives as well. And so we want those things for him. We long those, for those things for him. And as he was going, I said, man, you're, you're, not, you're, you're transitioning the first week. You're going to be gone. It's Memorial Day. I said, man, that's tough. I said, you know, I, I need to practice. I need to figure out how we can help you know, make that more familiar for our people. I said, you know, they're, they're used to our teaching team, but you're the primary teacher at our great campus. They're, they're used to you, and our favorites are what we're familiar with. And so I, I've been practicing. I've been asking you guys. I said, okay, what are the things that I can do to help it be more familiar? And somebody said, just make sure you keep us out of the ditches over here and the ditches over here. And just lean in when you talk to us. And... And the one, I'm still working on it, but the one that everybody says that I just can't get down is the power whisper. Church. I can't do it, but I'm working on it. So we're going to keep working, and we'll do the best that we can as we go through. But the reality is, is we don't gather for a person. We don't gather for our music. We, we, we gather to worship the Lord. That is an exciting and a wonderful thing, and I'm so thankful to be part of a church that that is their heart. And that is their passion. And would bring them here on the beginning, kind of a launch into summer on Memorial Weekend to make much of the Lord together. So thank you for that. It's an exciting, exciting thing. So we're studying through Colossians together as a church. And we've been in the third chapter, and we'll wrap that up today and even get into the first verse of chapter 4. The first few verses of uh, chapter 3, we look at the Jesus followers' relationship really to Jesus and then in verse 9, we transition into uh, his relationship with the local church or other brothers and sisters in the faith. And then in verse 18, last week, we realized there's a relationship to our family and introdu introduction into the household. 
this week we're going to see that the Jesus follower has a relationship with the workplace. With the workplace. And now the thing that we're going to have to put in our mind as we go through and make these observations is the workplace in first century Israel looked great, greatly different than our workplace today. There's no major corporations. There's no Apple. There's no Eastman. The workplace was much more centered around households. Very, very small circles of people. No major corporations like that. And so, what we get to see is as Paul is writing to the Jesus followers there in Colossae then, and to us today, he is going to use the most extreme workplace relationship imaginable. He's going to speak in terms of slaves and masters. Slaves and masters. And this context that we find throughout the New Testament is always within the context of the family or the household. It's that way here in Colossians. It's that way in Ephesians. It's that way in 1 Corinthians. Whenever we kind of find this context usually of the slaves and the masters, it follows husbands and wives, children, and then slaves and masters. Because as Paul's writing that in a first century Israel context, it's part of their household. It's part of their household. And it's hard for us to get our mind around the fact and the reality that there were people who belonged to other people in a social structure. That a slave had a master they don't clock in and they don't clock out. It's their life. It's a hard context for us to get our mind around. And it's not always, by the way, against the will of the slave. So that might be in a context, go back in the Old Testament of someone like Joseph. But in the New Testament, first century Israel, I couldn't just go put in my application at Eastman. So if I didn't have the family that didn't have own land and didn't have a place to work and had nothing, I might go to my neighbor who did and say, listen, I'll give you my life. I'm here. If you'll give my family a roof over their head and food to eat, I'll sell myself to you. And this was a pretty common practice. And so if you can begin to see how this would work in the context of a household, And you can see how broken and messed up this is, but you can begin to see how slaves and masters and workplace, there are parallels for us today. So although it's hugely different in culture, there are deep, meaningful observations that will help each of us live out our faith in our workplace where we spend so much of our time. And so this morning we're going to go through and make four major observations, and then at the end I've got just a list of applications we'll just throw at you as you go out. But there's so much good stuff here within its context. First observation I want you to see is the workplace is a broken place. It's a broken place. It wasn't always broken. As a matter of fact, the workplace exists before the fall of men. Before we first sinned, there was a workplace. It was part of our created purpose. Listen, work is part of being created in the very image of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, listen, it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. 
Here it is. And fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over it. It's a charge to work in the very created purpose, in the very image bearer. It's there, work. Genesis goes on, chapter 2, verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. Listen. And there was no man to work the ground. And so in the next few verses, God will create mist, he'll create water, and he creates man. Skip to verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he'd formed. Down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden, listen, to work it and keep it. Our very created purpose goes back to a workplace. We're created to work and work unto the Lord and his purpose. Man, we messed that up. <laughs> work is hard. My, my five-year-old, she doesn't like work. I don't like work. You don't like work. Work is hard. But in its purest sense, work is part of our calling. It's in our DNA. It's ingrained into us to work. We have just broken it. We were created to work unto the Lord. So what happened? Why did our work become so toilsome? Well, it's more than that. The fact is, our workplace is cursed due to our sin. Genesis 3, we keep reading the story, and after we're told of our sin because of our sin, verse 17, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. We were created to work unto the Lord, but instead we perverted that work and we tried to work for ourselves. And when we work for ourselves, we work, listen, to gain reward or to escape punishment. And if you're honest with yourselves, like I'm, I'm trying to be honest with me as I study and wrestle with this, that's really a lot of the motive behind how I work. I'm very selfish. I'm very self-centered. I begin to work and put effort and attention into things that would help me gain something. And, I, and oftentimes I'll put really good excuses. And by good, I mean good, well-meaning things. Like, man, I work for my family. But that was not the intended purpose for our work. Our intended purpose for our work was to honor and worship and glorify God and to work unto Him. And I think it's because of this broken workplace that Paul uses the most sinful, the most broken illustration of a workplace environment, slaves and masters. And so in Colossians 3, our text, verse 22, we're introduced to this section. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Verse 1 of chapter 4, where this section ends, Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is a hard text. It's a hard text to preach. It's a hard text to talk about. It's controversial. And anytime we come to a passage like this in Scripture, we're really kind of given three options. We can just kind of ignore it and skim over it and act like we didn't hear it. It's one of those hard truths. It's awkward. I don't know how you quite talk about that, so you just leave it. 
Or you conclude that, listen, this was written a long time ago, and those people, they just weren't as progressed in their social skills as we are. And that's kind of seeped into Scripture. And what we really need to do is to help the Bible say what God really meant it to say. They're a little bit more barbaric. They didn't quite get it. And so what we need to do is help deliver a better intention. That's a dangerous practice. Or third, we recognize that God's Word is the perfect revelation of who God is and who He has called us to be. And that tension that we may feel in our culture, that tension that we may feel as we wrestle, listen, with our depravity and our sin, that awkwardness that is there is by design and intended by God Himself as He reveals Himself to us. And so we face those things. And I think the thing that will jump out at us in this, and one of the reasons atheists will go to this section of Scripture so often, is because the primary charge given in this setting is not to abolish slavery. This great evil. That's hard. Why not? Matter of fact, Paul goes on, and he says, listen, he says, listen, those of you who have come to be believers, if you're a slave... Don't worry about it. Just remain as you are. I'm like, Paul, it's easy for you to say, bro. Right? Listen, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 21, here's what Paul says. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself to the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a free man in the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price, talking about what we will see here. The very blood of Jesus, you were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain there. Man, this is such a uh, a convicting principle for me. I'm type A. I like to kind of control things a little bit and make things the way I want. I've grown up in an American society and culture that's taught me work hard and improve your position. And I'm driven constantly to improve. And so I, I want to work. I want to I manipulate those relationships. I want to I figure out ways to where I'm always advancing, right? Where those promotions and those things just begin to continue to grow and grow. And, and what can happen is my attention can stop, be, stop being focused on being faithful where I'm at and instead figuring out how to get somewhere else. My circumstances aren't near as extreme, near as sinful, near as broken as these. And if Paul would say here, don't worry about it. You have a bigger mission. You have a greater call to faithfulness. I mean, sure, if it happens, that's fine. But don't make it your focus. It's not worth it. How much more would he say that to me? So I don't know what your workplace setting is like and how broken it is. I doubt very seriously it's this extreme. I doubt very seriously it's this broken. And Paul would tell you this first thing that we should catch on to is that fixing the broken workplace, that unfair workplace, is not your primary mission. As a matter of fact, it's a mission you could never accomplish. If you could fix what is broken, there would be no need for Jesus. Jesus is the only thing that can fix the brokenness of men. 
Christ and Christ alone. We have no hope in that apart from Him. You're not going to make your corporation heaven. Eastman will not be heaven on earth. It's just not. Second, it's a mission that creates sideways energy and distracts from more important things. As a pastor, man, I feel that. I feel that so often. Because I'm bombarded with so many good things that we could do that would be kind, that would be helpful, that would be just sweet. But meanwhile, I look out and there's a flock around me who I pray longingly will grow deeper in the disciplines of the faith, that will grow deeper in their abiding relationship with Christ that would overflow into an evangelistic lifestyle that would see them go into their workplaces, into their homes, into the neighborhoods, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus with boldness. That's a much greater important thing that is connected to the core of who we're called to be as believers. And we can get distracted by so many good things. Third, our mission is faithfulness in the broken workplace. Jesus modeled this. Jesus didn't lead reform for every broken, sinful thing while he was here. That doesn't mean he affirmed them. It just meant there was a greater calling, and he submitted himself to the will of the Father and the proclamation of truth in a broken world. The same mission is for us in our broken workplace. So whether we are slaves or whether we are masters, and in our context, listen, We're usually both. We should obey the authority over us in faithfulness. Recognizing that God is sovereign and in control. And masters, those who you have some type of organizational oversight into their life, you are called to treat them justly and fairly, realizing that there is no partiality to God. In the kingdom of God, there are no slaves, there are no masters. There is equal footing. To treat them as someone God loved so much He would send their son to die for their sins. If they're a believer, to treat them as a brother or sister in the faith. And so we see that this slave and master terminology has much for us. It does. One other thing, this is a little bit of a rabbit, but I want to make sure we get it. Throughout our New Testament, slave-master terminology is used to picture the gospel in quite a few different places. I want to read one to you from Romans chapter 6. And I'll tell you, anytime I preach, but especially this week and especially thinking of this verse, I've thought a lot of what Jesus said. Many times when Jesus would say something, he would say, He who has ears, let him hear. I prayed this week that God would give us ears to hear his word. Listen to Romans chapter 6. Paul begins to write in verse 15, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves... You are slaves of the one whom you obey. Either sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching 
to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms, by the way, terms of master and slave, right? Because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The reality is you are a slave. You are a slave. You are not Free to yourself, you are not independent. You are either a slave to yourself and therefore sin, leading to death, hell, separation. Or you are a slave to God and therefore holy through grace, leading to life, heaven, and reconciliation. We are slaves to one or the other. And so this broken workplace and this extreme example speaks directly to us in a way that ought to help us jump into many applications. We're going to speed through the next few really quick. The workplace is a place that measures motive. Measures motive. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Listen, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. We don't just work and just be faithful when somebody's around to see it. When there's something in it that might be for our gain or to avoid our punishment. Instead, we work and we serve faithfully in truth. Which means even when no one's around. Even when no one can see. Even when it might not work out for my gain or to avoid punishment. Why do we work? If we work for ourselves, again, it's for our own gain. It's for our own reward. It's to escape punishment. It's for the promotion. It's for the affirmation. It's for the social perks. It's for the fame. It's for the power. It's for the money. These weren't the things we were called to work toward. Paul says, don't be a people pleaser. Don't just work for selfish aspirations in the eyes of others. Work with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. This speaks to motive. Let me chase a rabbit here really quick. Notice that sincerity of heart is opposite of people-pleasing. That's important. Listen, it takes more love to admonish someone than it does to affirm them. It takes more love and faithfulness to be faithful and true when no one else will see and no credit will come your way. People pleasing is one of the most 
dangerous temptations of our pride. Yeah, I said our pride. Listen, it's, don't kid yourselves. People-pleasing isn't about encouraging others. It's not about being kind or friendly or hospi- hospitable. Listen, it is about self-affirmation. It's about the gain that you might get or the persecution you might avoid. Because sincerity of heart is true. It's true. And so if the workplace measures our motive, what should the motive of our workplace be? The workplace is a place of worship. He goes on in verse 23, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. We live for an audience of one. We have one master. We have been bought with a price, and we have one master. There is one God. We are not free. We are purchased. Not a portion of us, but all of us. And that means we are very much that everywhere we go. That means we do not worship in one place. That means this is no more worship than when you go home or when you go to work. Worship is not an event. It's a life. That's what Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Listen, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies, all of you, your bodies, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, your workplace, because that's where you are. It's a place of worship. You're sent there as a place of worship. It's a place of worship that even, listen, existed before the fall. Paul writes, work heartily. That's a tough translation for us, to be honest. The NIV says, work with all your heart. That's a better translation a little bit, I think, for the way we, we read it. But it's still soft. Listen, when we read it, we think try your best and work really hard when you go to the workplace. I want you to know that's not the core root of that term. If you look it up, the core root meaning of that term is life, soul. Listen to some of these places it's used. Mark, or Matthew 10, 39. Whoever finds his life, that's it, same word, life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake, we'll find it. That's all of us. Listen, Luke 12, 20. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. Same word, soul, right there. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So what are you saying? I'm letting you know that when you go to work, you don't just work hard. You go with all of your being, with all of your soul, with all of your life. It becomes a place of worship. You should prepare yourself. You should prepare yourself to go to work like you would prepare yourself to come to church on a Sunday morning. We should get on our knees before God. We should pray. We should sing. We should praise Him and put our heart and our mind, listen, on focus to make our workplace a place of worship. You say, you don't know my workplace. It's broken. It's messed up. You don't know some of the guys I work with. I promise it's not as extreme as what we're reading right here. And he says, give it your life, your soul. Whatever we do should be an act of worship. We don't work for earthly masters, rather a heavenly master. 
We do not work for our boss, our employer, our co-workers. Listen, you don't even work for your own family, and you certainly don't work for yourself. We are given the responsibility to take our whole life and make it worship. And we work, therefore, worship unto the Lord. So don't pervert this truth. Don't make it about you. And that's the temptation. I fell at that so much. I work at a church. I still, I make it so many times about me. It's not. Fourth thing, the workplace will be judged by God. The workplace will be judged by God. Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. You who are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. If our workplace is a place of worship, a place of contentment, a place of faithfulness, then it will be judged by the one it is purposed to glorify. Those who are serving the Lord Christ in their workplace, there is a reward for that. Those who serve themselves, the wrongdoer, there is punishment for that. And there is no partiality. There are no slaves and masters in heaven, in the kingdom of God. We will stand equal footing at the cross. And so, I want us to close with some points of application. I've got seven of them here listed. I want to walk you through them. And there's some things that I think we can do to help us be faithful to worship God and proclaim the gospel in our workplace. First, prepare your heart for worship before you go to work. I... I'll just tell you, sometimes it's not a right or wrong, just give, it's a practical idea. I was thinking about this, and I don't know why. I, I listen to a lot of like 60s and 70s folk music that I don't know why. I just do. It's, I, I do. It's a weird thing. So I'm driving down the road. That's kind of what I listen to. Sundays, oftentimes on Sundays on my way to church, I, and I mix it up, but almost always on Sundays I'm listening to some type of praise and worship music to prepare my heart to come together and worship. Why would I do that on the way to work? a thought why wouldn't i purpose my heart to worship at work like i purpose my heart to worship at church why wouldn't i pray in the same way why wouldn't i go in with the same gospel conversations on my mind there as i would the church on a sunday second be faithful and content where you are this is also another one that's hard for me i know some of you it's going to be hard for you too It's hard to be faithful and content where you are. We are made, especially men, to long for that next thing. If it comes your way, third thing, take the opportunity that comes. Take the opportunity if it comes. But be faithful and content to serve where you are. Number four, work for an audience of one. Make your life a life of worship that is not lived for yourself, for your company, for your family or friends, but is primary lived for the Lord. All those other things will fall into place. Number five, submit to the authority of your employers. I said, what if they call me to do something in direct violation of Scripture? I didn't say, listen, 
I didn't say blindly obey them to anything. That Submit to their authority. They're calling you to do something that's sinful. Lose your job if you have to. But submit to the authority of your employer. That's different. It's there. You can get at that. We can do that. And we can show and model faithfulness in that. Six, treat your employees fairly, knowing that there's no partiality in the kingdom of God. Many of us have oversight of other people and their jobs and their workplace. Let's help put them in an environment of grace, an environment of worship, an environment that sees them as someone God loves so much that He would send His only Son for them, to see them as a brother or a sister in the faith. Treat them fairly. Seven, trust God to determine reward and punishment. Trust Him with the outcomes. Make content grace-filled obedience and faithfulness your goal as the band comes on up and we prepare to have a response and take the lord's supper i want to remind us of a reality most of the revivals that have happened most of the great awakenings that have happened throughout the history listen of the church did not happen and start within the walls of a church building They happened in neighborhoods and communities, largely, listen, through schools and workplaces. Those were the places of worship, believe it or not, that launched some of the greatest revivals the world has ever known. And I firmly believe if Tri-Cities Baptist Church will experience such a revival, it will certainly not be confined in the walls of our building. It will be because we live a life on mission and a life of worship where we live and where we work, where we spend our time, and within context here, the household that we are around. We have been bought. We are not free to ourselves. Our work is not about us. We have a master. And for those of you here who are Jesus followers, and this applies to you, listen, I want you to realize this is what we will celebrate. That it costs something. That Jesus has paid a price. That He has shed His blood and given His body. That you and I might be, listen, not just freed from slaves to ourselves and made slaves of God. True. But He loved us so much that He has adopted us. And He does not look on us as slaves, as His servants, but He looks at us as the very children of God, joint heirs with Jesus, that allows us to cry out and pray and not begin our prayer, Master, although He is and although He's Lord, we get to cry out to Him and say, Father, Father. All that is true because of what we are called to remember this morning. And it is not limited to the walls of this building, but it goes into our life and it goes into our workplace. There should be no difference in our worship, in our faithfulness, here or there. And if you're here and there's never come a time in your life where you've placed saving faith in Christ, where the reality of the gospel has overpowered you with the truth that would cause you to confess that you are a slave to your sin, that you need help, and that Jesus was given for you, that through His life and His perfection, that He would pay the penalty for you, that you can claim it all on Him, that through Him 
you could have eternal life. There's never been a moment where you cried out and you said, Jesus is my Lord, my Savior, my Master, and it's through Him. I want you to know, if you've never done that, this isn't for you. In the sense that we want you to participate and take it. Watch it. It is for you as a witness and a testimony of the goodness of the gospel. So as we do this, I would challenge you to make this a time of prayer that maybe for the first time ever you would pray and you would go to the Lord and you would acknowledge that you were a sinner before Him, but He loved you enough to send you His Son. And that this very morning, through the testimony of the Lord's Supper, you would place saving faith in Him. Church, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, You are a good God. You are worthy of our worship and our faithfulness. Not in a few hours a week on a certain day, but Lord, in our life, wherever that may take us. And you are so good and so worthwhile that you overshadow all other things. That we can say in the midst of our broken world, in the midst of broken circumstances, I can be content because I know this is not my eternity and I know that there is a God who is bigger. Lord, I pray that you would give us, the church, the heart to worship and proclaim the gospel in our workplace. Pray that you would change our lives as we focus on our abiding relationship with you that would compel us and call us to worship. I pray these things in the name of your Son, the name of Jesus. Amen.